Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 23, and we will restart this chapter and this part of the story of how the Apostle Paul ended up in Roman custody. Now, you remember he came back to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, apparently wanting to be at Jerusalem in time for the 25th anniversary of the birth of the church. That would be Pentecost of 58. And things seemed to be going fairly well until some Jewish people from Asia province made the assumption that the Apostle Paul had brought Gentiles beyond the boundary barrier into the Israeli-only section of the Temple Mount. And so that is an area that the Romans and the Jews had come to an agreement any Gentile beyond that barrier would be responsible for their own death. It was summary execution on the spot. Uh, Well, maybe they didn't execute him on the spot, but uh, they were responsible for their own death. Uh, because Paul was a Jewish man being accused of that, apparently the mob that formed believed that they could take him out and execute him. And that's when the Romans spotted the riot in the making and came down and grabbed him and took him elsewhere. Now, it's true, the the person in charge of the military presence at Antonia Fortress assumed that Paul was a recent troublemaker that they were supposed to be on the lookout for. Uh, But once he figured that out, uh, he decided that he needed to get the bottom of what Paul had done to get the Jewish people so upset with him. And there was an attempt to do this by um, a beating in an interrogation, which was standard procedure uh, in both Roman and Jewish ways of dealing with potential criminals. Uh, But that was not allowed if you were a Roman citizen. And so Paul let that information uh, sink in to the tribune, And so now the Tribune's only way of sorting this out is to take Paul into an official meeting of the Sanhedrin and to let them decide exactly what he was supposed to be charged with so that he could evaluate that charge. And so that's where we want to pick up the story today, chapter 23, verse 1 in the book of Acts. Looking intently at the council, that's the Sanhedrin, 70 men who are the elders of Israel. They are like the, uh, not the Supreme Court, but kind of a mixture between the Supreme Court and the Congress, uh, with the high priest being kind of roughly equivalent to some executive uh, administrator for the whole group. So Paul said to this assembly, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. That was his introductory remark. He had plenty more he intended to say. Verse 2, 
the high priest Ananias. Now, this is the son of the Ananias involved in the execution of Jesus, because that happened 25 years earlier. So this is the new guy. He actually came to power when his predecessor was assassinated by the Sicari, the curved knife assassins who were trying to terrorize uh, the Jewish population into doing things their way. Now back to the text. Uh, and Aeneas commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth, which is completely against protocol. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you going to sit there and judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And so he has a flash of anger, which we have to acknowledge was inappropriate. And those who stood by called him on it. They said, would you revile God's high priest? And so Paul, chastened and repentant, said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest, for it is written, and then he quotes from the Old Testament, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people, end quote. And it is at this point he decides that he best get his main point in and perhaps in the process uh, divide the Sanhedrin up on the topic of resurrection. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And then Dr. Luke throws in this bit of commentary for those that not, may not be aware of why this was such a big deal. Verse 8, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection. They don't believe in bodily resurrection whatsoever. Nor an angel. They don't believe in the supernatural. Nor spirits. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So for our practical purposes, the Pharisees were religious Jewish leaders, while the Sadducees were more secular Jewish leaders. Verse 9, Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them. And so that should tell you how tense a subject this is. It is a big deal. It's always bubbling below the surface. And Paul opened up a hole where that geyser could spew out. And uh, there might have been a little bit of uh, fisticuffs going on. Uh, and Paul was in the middle of this fracas. And... He is a Roman citizen. The tribune is charged by Roman law to protect all Roman citizens. And so he, even those that might be under investigation, which Paul is. 
And so he was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, and he commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So he was there with a military presence, uh, police force presence. Don't know how many soldiers, but it would have been sufficient. And he tells them, go down and get the guy. And they pull him out of the Sanhedrin chamber, which was probably on a, on a place in the temple complex where part of it was in the court of the Gentiles, and another part of it was in the court of Israel. That is, if you looked at where the barrier wall is, the barrier wall kind of hit midway uh, on the outside of this chamber. And so uh, I think it's probably in the north courtyard. So they grab Paul and escort him back across the north court of the Gentiles, back up the access stairs perhaps, or maybe out uh, one of the north gates and, and into the gate of uh, the Antonia Fortress. And that's where he's going to be held securely overnight. Uh, he is not exactly a prisoner. This is really hard for us to get our minds wrapped around. Uh, the closest thing you can think of is somebody that is being held uh, under detention awaiting um, charges against them. Uh, it's supposed to be a secure location, uh, but they are not to be treated like someone that's committed a crime. And so, uh, he is effectively kept in one of the rooms, perhaps one of the guest rooms that is part of this complex uh, called the Antonia Fortress uh, overnight. And that's where he has a dream. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, now this is actually when the sun goes down on the same day from our perspective of the event that just happened. Because remember, Jewish days start at sunset. So the following night, that evening, the Lord stood by him. So Jesus appears to him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also at Rome. And that's where we cut off last session last week. Uh, Paul is specifically told by Jesus, you will go to Rome, and there you will preach and teach the gospel. Now, he may not know it exactly yet, but he will do that in front of Nero Caesar himself. Verse 12, when it was day, so after the sun comes up, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So this is part of the group. Perhaps some of them, having come out of, of the Asia province, because they're the ones that were so upset to begin with uh, about Paul, but certainly whoever it is, this group really hates the idea that Paul got away from Jewish justice. They, they feel very strongly he should have already been executed. And so they are so convinced of that 
that they are willing to lay down their own lives in order to make sure that happens. Now, there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Paul. Now, that's pretty severe. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, that is, back down to you, out of the tower and into the, the chamber uh, in the temple complex, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, you need to think through this exactly the logistics of what they're going to do. They are going to have men, there's 40 of them, along the path that Paul and his Roman escort will walk from the Antonia Fortress to the council chamber. They know exactly the path that will be taken. And somewhere in that north courtyard, because that's the only place that would be legitimate for them to carry it out, they will attack the military escort, kill or hurt, kill or maim uh, any, Jew, any Roman soldier that gets in their way so that they can kill Paul. Now, it is highly likely, and I'm sure they expected this, that they will, at least some of them, be killed in the process. Uh, these guys more than likely are part of this Sicari group that I talked about earlier, the Curve Knife Assassins, who believe that even Jewish people that get in the way of their belief system should be taken out at every opportunity. Verse 16, God intervenes. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he has a sister, married, living probably in Jerusalem, and his nephew finds out about this. Now, how old is his nephew? The way that he gets treated later, it sounds like he's probably a middle schooler or a little bit younger. And so he may have overheard some of these plans somehow. But he comes to the barracks and he told his uncle Paul about the plot. Because you see, Paul is not technically under arrest so much as he's being detained for investigation purposes. And now he's actually under protective custody. Uh, so his, his outside connections are perfectly allowable. So his nephew comes to visit him and tells him about the plot. Verse 17, Paul called one of the centurions, one of the, the officers that are in charge of at least 100 foot soldiers. And he said to him, take this young man to the tribune. He has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. 
and the tribune took him by the hand, so that tells me he's probably a little bit younger, and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But don't be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they've killed him. And now they're ready, waiting for your consent. Now here we find out that the oath is even more severe. It's not just simply they're not going to eat until they've killed Paul. They're not going to drink either. So they expect to be able to accomplish this very soon. At the cost, no doubt, of some of their lives and the lives of some of the Roman soldiers. And they're good with that. Now the tribune, as you might expect, is not good with that. And he's not really interested at this point in trying to lay a trap for these 40 men uh, because where the ambush would take place would put a whole bunch of other people at risk. And yet don't do that if you are in charge of keeping the public peace, which is his job. And so he decides the best course is to get Paul out of town now. Verse 22, so the tribune dismissed the young man charging him, tell no one that you've informed me of these things. Then he called two of his centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers. So 200 foot soldiers with their officers, the two centurions, along with 70 horsemen. So uh, uh, we're going to have a uh, a unit, a mounted unit that's going to go, and 200 spearmen, and that's probably going to be another two centurions attached to those soldiers. Uh, the spearmen uh, are usually in attendance to uh, cavalry units. And you go as far as Caesarea at the th third hour of the night. Uh, so... It is, um, it is important to get him out of town now. And he wants them to go under cover of darkness. Uh, so he gets this very heavily armed unit. You count them all up, we've got 470 military professionals. And they are going to take Paul out of town. Uh, down to the coast, which is, it's, it's about a two-day two, uh, walk. It's about 60 miles uh, by the Roman road. Uh, but uh, the foot soldiers are only going to go part of the way, and then the mounted units are going to take him the rest of the way. So they will get there tomorrow. So verse 24, also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. So he wants to bump this up to his boss, the provincial procurator. And so he wrote a letter to this effect. Now, it is always interesting to read personal and official correspondence uh, where the person is trying to 
make himself and his actions sound better than what really happened. Uh, And since this is actually official Roman correspondence, this is being entered into the record for any future investigations. And that's why he's going to write it this way. But all of us who have heard the story up to this point, we know he's going to fudge the facts. Verse number 26. Claudius Lucius, to his excellency, the governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. Now, that is not accurate. He did not find out until he'd almost had Paul interrogated by force himself. But he doesn't want that to be in the official record. He'd much rather it look like he's doing his job of protecting Roman citizens. Verse 28. Desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council, and I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or even imprisonment. So he already gives his preliminary findings. He doesn't think that Paul has done anything that deserves capital punishment. He doesn't think Paul has done anything that even merits being put into jail. But that's not his call now. It is now Felix's call. He has to bump this up the, the, uh, uh, the line of authority because he knows he's going to be coming against the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is going to be roughly at the same uh, level as Felix himself. And so Felix is the one that will have to make decisions. Verse number 30. When it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. Uh, So... He already plans the next day he's going to tell the Sanhedrin, well, if you want to talk uh, to anybody about that prisoner, you'll have to go down to Felix because that's where he's been transferred. Verse 31. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. Now that's about halfway to Caesarea from Jerusalem along the Roman road. Uh, In the Old Testament, this is where Aphek was located. On the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. So they basically marched through the night down to Antipatris. And at Antipatris, that's where the foot soldiers, the spearmen, apparently, are all going to take a rest and then turn around and go back to the praetorium. It's the, the horse soldiers that will take Paul the rest of the way to Caesarea, which will only take a few hours by horseback. When they came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, 
they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he had learned that he was from Galicia, he said, I'll give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. Uh, So this is all formal. This is all according to all the rules of justice for Roman citizens. He got a, a very quick preliminary hearing And yes, you have a right to all of this, and we will have a hearing uh, once the people that are accusing you of some sort of crime come down, and then I'll make my decision based on that. And then he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Now, this again gets to this weird thing about how you can be a Roman citizen accused of crimes, but not yet Uh, found guilty, and you can be detained, even have some chains put on you uh, by a properly placed authority figure within the government, but you are not to be treated as if you are a guilty party. You are to be treated with respect and consideration. So Paul actually is given probably a room in the Praetorium of Herod, which is the seaside palace at Caesarea. Uh, been there several times now, looking forward to being there again soon. And uh, it was uh, a fairly decent place for him to be at this point, although he is limited in his ability uh, to travel. Uh, and that is the problem with being in Roman custody, uh, as the Apostle Paul will be for the next four years. Now, we've only got a few seconds left, so it's going to take five days before the high priest Ananias comes down with some representatives of the Sanhedrin with their mouthpiece, their high-profile orator, lawyer. And uh, this shows how important they take this case. They want this guy done in. Uh, before he can do any more damage uh, to their desire of keeping the peace amongst the Jewish people in Judea.